You are listening to episode 182 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody. Here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we go Jurassic Park on a Hobby Lobby in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. Dude, that was, uh, I think, the best introduction that we've had. As Actually, last week, I was like, dude, that was phenomenal, super simple. This one, I don't know, man. Every week, you just seem to impress. I do what I can. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so this week, we are, of course, joined by the wonderful Barry of Premium Edition Games. Barry, would you like to do your, your general intro whenever we have you? <laughs> uh, well, first off, thanks for having me. For those that uh, haven't heard me before, my name is Barry, and I'm uh, one of the founding members of Premium Edition Games. You might have also heard me over at Nintendo Fuse or on the Premium Playcast. Good stuff. So yeah, Barry, I think this is like your fourth time on the podcast or third yeah. time. I can't remember, but I think he's fourth a, time. yeah, he's a he's a frequent visitor for the Game of Players podcast. Uh, for the Game Deflators, of course, you can find us on thegamedeflators.com. You can find us on social media at Game Deflators, on Twitter at The Game Deflators, on Instagram and Facebook, and of course, on the podcast you are listening to right now. Um, well, Barry, you know what we like to talk about here? Games we recently picked up and games we're currently playing. We'll kick it yep. off to you as a guest. All right. So uh, games that I, I... I'm trying to think what games I really recently picked up. Um... I, I got Grand Theft Auto V on Xbox One because it was like a stupid sale uh, or the Series X on Amazon. But I really haven't been picking up as many games lately other than like the Switch set. But I've been picking up oddities for the collection is really kind of one of the things that I've been focusing on. And uh, I, I'm the kind of collector that, you know, if everyone's going right, I like to go left. Uh, I like to do things or, or research things that not many people are going for or thinking about. And as part of being a historian is the gaming history, learning about it. And since I've been doing this so long, if I find something that, you know, oh my God, I've never heard of before. How did this, like it excites me. It's like, oh, this is new. This is exciting. So I was happy a couple, I think a couple months ago, I managed to pick up a 3DO a Gold Star 3DO Alive 2, which is uh, a, a very interesting system because it was only released in South Korea. And what makes it so interesting is that the system is just a 3DO, but it's housed in one of the prototype shells for the 3DO M2 that never came out. It was never existent, but Gold Star printed the housing shells for the system and had to do something with it. So they decided to only use it in South Korea, calling it the Alive 2. And I was I was fascinated by it. I was happy to find one. But of course, if you have anything with a 2, you what about a 1? And I uh, did some research, and it turns out they did release the standard Gold Star 3DO like we had here. They called it the Alive, and it had like a live written on top. And, you know, it's very hard to find, you know, things from that era, especially from other countries. And I just happened to find an Alive. And I was like, oh, man. So I had to get that. So I have the two of them together. Uh, did you so buy that online or did you find it locally? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not going to find that locally. I uh, dude. I mean, you never know. Just hanging that, out in Korea. Just just having it out. Uh, one of the things is, you know, if you deal with a lot of foreign stuff, you make a lot of foreign friends and contacts. Uh, so I put out a feeler to some of the people who, you know, I've 
I've bought from before and who I've made friends with before and said, hey, if you happen to find one. And one of them came back to me and said, I got an alive and it works. And I was like, I want that. <laughs> so I had it, <laughs> it shipped over like and a, just arrived. It looks like a PlayStation from like another timeline. You looking at the Alive 2 or the Alive 1? The Alive 2. Yeah, the that, that was supposed to be the M2, uh, which was 3DO's follow-up system. And what they were doing, they were doing uh, Panasonic and Gold Star. And eventually, I, from what I understand, like they told Gold Star, we're just doing Panasonic. And then it never came out anyway. But Gold Star had already printed out these shells. And they were like, what do we do with these shells? So they released it as a as a follow-up in South Korea only, because they only printed enough shells for a small country. So, yeah. uh, and, and South Korea is one of those countries that's very minimalistic. So when they're done with something, they throw it out. They don't collect, they don't keep. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that stuff is lost to time or very, very hard to come by. So yeah. Well, that's I a big like question. These. The big question is complete in box or looks... no, 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 okay. no, not. Oh. I wish uh, that the, the range on some of that stuff, uh, complete in box is especially from South Korea, very, very hard to find boxed. And you're talking multiple thousands of hours more to get it in that shape because you're talking cardboard from the mid nineties. Yeah. That that survived. Um, it wasn't preserved. People opened them up and threw it out. Just, I mean, you look at like an NES box versus an NES loose. Uh, picture that, but but on a grander scale because there were so many NES printed. Yeah. This is much much less. So that's the unfortunate thing. But that's that's really where my pickups have gone to. I just you know trying to build my own little you know mini museum and trying to go for stuff that interests me. And when I hear a story like that, like oh the M2 existed, like like at least that part of it that's part of video game history. Like that's cool to go for. And you know, not a lot of people go for it or even care. There's probably a ton of people go, I don't care about that. I just want to play video games. And that's cool. Um, these are things that I like. So I go for it. Nice. Uh, speaking of playing games, I just finished horizon forbidden West, <clears throat> nice. uh, which I did not hundred percent. I think it's 60%, but I got to the point where I'm like, I don't care about going for all the cauldrons. I don't need to override everything. I don't care about doing every side quest at this point or going to every rune and, uh, or, you know, get all the relics from the little relic areas. I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to finish the story and see it through and over leveled already at this point. And I'm glad I did it. I think I like the first one better. Uh, I like some of the accessibility, uh, and the, like they highlight where you can climb that made it a little bit easier, but it was still very unresponsive. A lot of times like try go left, go left. What, why aren't you going left? I'm holding left. Um, I still wish it was like breath of the wild and you could just climb everywhere. <laughs> Give me a stamina yeah. meet it and let me climb everywhere. Um, but that was the main, main game I just finished. And I also played on the switch. I played a game called the sorrow virus, a faceless short story. Uh, which I got for, uh, for review from East Asia Soft, uh, which I reviewed for Nintendo Fuse, which will go on the, the latest podcast. And what that is, is it's a first-person psychological horror game. And I'm not big into horror, but for some reason I keep getting these psychological horror games. And uh, it's an interesting premise where it's like when you have terminal diseases in the world, uh, obviously they're terminal, we're going to die, and we can't always come up with a cure in time. So they... in find this way to create this sorrow virus and they inject this guy with it and what it does is when you die instead of going to heaven or hell whatever you want to believe you go to purgatory and if you can escape purgatory you come back to life but you still have your ailments so you're eventually going to die again and the cycle repeats but it buys them time to come up with a cure but while you're in purgatory you're also dealing with your own failings as a person and the things you 
you know, had to deal with. So you're kind of getting the story from inside purgatory because you you start in there and you have to escape. And it's, you know, you're getting snippets of what happened in the real life, kind of like in a dream state. The environment is shifting around you as you get a little more control or you start to piece things together. A uh, little bit of the horror and jump scares and, and, and like like these dolls and you have to try and collect the dolls because the dolls represent people you failed and you got to try and set their souls free. And it's, it's really weird. And the whole time thing, you're timed and there's no timer on screen. Uh, there's these grandfather clocks. And if you click them, they create checkpoints and they also reset your time. And if you take hmm. too long, you die, like you, you fail. Um, so you're, you're racing this invisible clock, which I never lost, but it did create that little extra sense of urgency. Like, oh, I better not take too long in this puzzle. And there's a ton of different puzzles to do and figure out. And, and uh, it's an interesting game. Uh, you know, I would recommend it for probably about five bucks. Uh, it's about three to four hours if you just go through it. And it's meant to be replayed, which... I did one playthrough. I was enough, but uh, is it d- definitely a great premise. I think it could have been executed a little bit better, um, but it, it's a def- it's an experience. Yeah. Sounds interesting, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely something I might be into. We'll we'll see. I looked right now. I think it's like ten bucks right now. Is yeah, it's on for. sale. Yeah. So oh, it's on sale at ten dollars. It's fifteen dollars normally. Oh jeez. Okay. So yeah, at least I'll on wait. Switch. I don't know on other platforms. I, I did the Switch version. I'll wait for that Steam sale. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I'll jump into mine. So pickups this week. Uh, finally got my limited uh, run game version of Ghoul Patrol and Zombies Eat My Neighbors with my little 3D glasses. Uh, so got that in. I got a copy of Outbreak on the PS4 that came in. A bunch of Magic cards recently. And then today did some garage sailing. Got Fallout 4 Game of the Year Edition on the Xbox One and Civilization 6. Probably trade those or do something with those. Uh, and then the big pickup this week was my Vectrix multi-cart hacked. Nice. Nice, right? So I think it was like 40 bucks, if I'm correct. But it's uh, 30-something games all in one, and it's been hacked to allow for unlimited lives. So, I mean, right there, that's just going to be enjoyable to continually play to Vectrix and not have to worry about lives. And uh, Brian and I played it a while back, enjoyed it. So I think this will be a, a nice opportunity to dig into some other games and, and really just kind of explore that console a little bit further. See, it's funny. I'm I'm talking about consoles that most people haven't heard of, and here you just talk about the Vectrix, which is probably another one of those consoles yeah. that most people haven't heard of. And it it's a great system, dude. It's fantastic. Oh. It's like a little mini arcade cabinet, like yeah. just yeah. And so that one, by the way, I have complete in box. Ooh, see, I, I don't have mine boxed. I have mine loose. So I um, it was interesting. I came across. I talked. I told the story before, but you haven't heard this one. So when I worked in a game store years ago, we had a Vectrix that came in. And uh, where I was working was in Florida and it was right off the coast. So normally if components and stuff are constantly like that, I must have been sitting in somebody's garage interior of it. You know, it was to a point where it wasn't worth me trying to fix it. Right. Could have replaced every cap, everything. And it just was more hassle than what it was worth. So I held on to it for a number of years thinking maybe down the road, at some point I could find somebody that would fix it for me. Well, going on like an offer up and this was like four years ago, I think some guy had a complete in box version of it. Uh, working and yeah so i picked it up from him for like 200 bucks with several games wow that's right? a steal 100 steal at that time i think they were going for about 400 at the time so i picked it up for 200 bucks and then get this took the broken vectrix sold it on ebay for parts for 250 dollars. oh my god you came up ahead came out ahead well no it was about break even because after shipping oh uh, with that but i mean dude it was just insane and on top of that i sold it without the uh the controller 
that came with the, the other Vectrix. And those controllers are about a hundred bucks a pop. So now I got two controllers. One of them though, uh, I need to fix the, uh, the interior joystick. Uh, I guess the, the spring in there is broken. So I got to replace the spring. But after that, I'll have two controllers to be able to play the Vectrix. And I broke even. That, so you can't beat that. That's awesome. Oh, dude, hundred percent can't beat it. So the multi-card is going to be fantastic. Um, can't wait to boot that up and really start digging into that. And then as far as what I'm currently playing, uh, went ahead and just played some more Apex Legends this week. Uh, so I was on a trip out in Florida for about four or five days and just wiped. So I'm like, let me just sit back and play some Apex. And uh, last night I decided, well, I got to keep it kind of fresh and, you know, with Ocarina time because I'm still playing that. I haven't beat it yet. Just got to the Fire Temple finally. And um, actually, I didn't get to the Fire Temple yet. I got the um, the vest, the heat vest or whatever. So I just guy. got that. Yeah, so I just say that. I'm going to go to Fire Temple tonight and uh, progress further on that game. So I'm I'm surprised you haven't beaten that. I'm just, I haven't been into it, man. Slow and just, I just have not, like, honestly, just have not been into Ocarina of Time. It just hasn't been a game that I've truly enjoyed. Now, I've played Wind Waker and absolutely loved Wind Waker. And so now I'm coming into Ocarina of Time, and it just feels like, I've told Ryan this, like, I, it feels like it's super hyped up for me. So I came in this, like, pumped. And all of a sudden I start playing, I'm like, it's, you know, it's okay. I get it, but. Here's the thing with Ocarina. Ocarina is what I like to call a tentpole game. Uh, Final Fantasy VII is one of those as well, where if that was your entry into the series, you will hold it to a higher esteem than everything else because this was your entry, this was your first experience. And while Ocarina was the first time into 3D, which was monumental, and I absolutely do love Ocarina, it's nowhere near the top of my list for Zelda games. And even at the time, I was like, Link's Awakening and Link to the Past alone are, are better. Like, wh- why are you focusing on Ocarina? Go, just go back. And so many people refused... Like when Ocarina, they loved it. They refused to play older games. The same thing with Final Fantasy VII. Oh, VII is the greatest. Oh, I cried when when the the big person dies. You know, I'm not going to spoil it, even though I'm sure everyone knows it. And I'm just like, have you not played four or five or six? Like like even two. Like there's deaths in all of them, and they're more impactful. And they're like, oh no, I don't want to play anything with sprites. I need to have the FMVs. And I'm like, okay. Except except nowadays they do have FMVs that are tied to it. Well, <laughs> yeah, older. at least at least the opening and closing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still one. It's a tentpole game. So, and and I do think that's an unfortunate thing for anyone going into those games now because they've been hyped by all these people with these fond memories. And it's like, it's a great game. It copies a link to the past to a T. Uh, and the things that were revolutionary back in 1998 aren't revolutionary now. Um, so you got to take it skewed. Yeah. And, and you know, it's not like graphically, like it's terrible, like graphically it's fine. You know, I'm playing it. I'm enjoying it from that aspect. Um, but just, it's, it's a little hard to follow for the most part. The controls are okay, you know, and the gameplay is all right. It's just not, there's other games out there in the Zelda franchise that are much better. And there are people even today that with Breath of the Wild out, that'll say, Oh, Arcane of Time still top of my list. Well, okay. You know, Link's Awakening is the top of mine, even with Breath of the Wild. Um, and it's still, it's for me, it's about the story. You know, yeah. I thought Link's Awakening's story was hands down the best Zelda story and the saddest Zelda story and the most impactful. Um, and to me, that's really where it's at. But there's also a little bit of nostalgia. It was the first Zelda game I actually owned. I played through the others, but it was always at friends' houses. Link's Awakening was the first I could sit down and play at my own pace. I didn't have to visit people. I had it. 
uh, and I thought it did everything it did extremely well. Um, you know, and that's when going to Ocarina, seeing, you know, the owl and seeing uh, Marin and Terran, I was like, oh my God, you know, like, this is so cool. They're pulling. And then I'm like, oh, those are different characters, but it's clearly Link's Awakening inspired. So I get that. You know, yeah. there's there's always going to be people with the nostalgia. The, the, what they had as a childhood is always going to be the best because it was what impacted them the most. Yeah, you know, the next thing I have to play, sorry, Ryan, uh, I'll say one more thing. Next thing I have to play is Majora's Mask. So hopefully I can get through Ocarina of Time pretty quick and jump into Majora's Mask and go from there. I've heard lesser things on Majora's Mask over the years. It's one that I actually haven't been able to truly dive into again, like, played with a friend or something years ago for a little bit, but never like truly dove into the title itself. So hoping because everybody's kind of said, eh, it's not as good. Uh, it's, you know, definitely not an Ocarina of Time that I'm going to hopefully enjoy that more so than I have Ocarina of Time. Majora's Mask more about the story and the smaller events. Which is 100% up my alley. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Ryan, what were you going to say? I was going to say, you know, you might have benefited from like the novelty of playing like the 3DS remake of Ocarina of Time just to have like the portability to do it anywhere and to get like shorter sessions in if you're having time issues committing to like, ah, you know, I'm bored after playing this for an hour, but I got to keep playing it like that. It didn't save me with like my battle against Persona, but that was the idea of playing Persona on the handheld it was like i even if i'm not really into it i could play it anywhere you know i think i have what's funny is i think i have ocarina time on the 3ds and i just didn't want to play it on there because i'm like you know i really want to play it on the original console i want to get the full-blown experience on the n64 of it but i'm probably going to do it with majora's mask played on the 3ds i mean i do have the option of course on the switch but yeah, that's right. You can play the uh, N64 app and play the original Majora's Mask in Ocarina that way, too. Yeah, except I have to buy the N64 controller for the Switch then. So I thought it wasn't the best. Like, I thought it was like rendering stuff weird or something. I remember seeing yeah, pictures Rich, online. Was. And, uh, oh, they fixed it? They, they, I mean, it's not perfect, but it's improved. Okay. Gotcha. Let's see what Majora's Mask is going for right now. The 3DS, I want to say it's... Oh. It's about 25 bucks. Yeah, 25 bucks. Man, I passed it up bad. and it was like $15 not too long ago. It's so. not bad, though, considering it's a Zelda game on an older console. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I definitely need to look into that. Uh, Ryan, what do you got? So, I have Game Pass, of course, and I love me some Game Pass. And we got two new day one drops this week. We got Loot River, uh, which is... I told my friends about it and they said, apparently it's not getting such great reviews on steam, but I think it's really fun. It's uh, like an isometric kind of view of a dark souls style game, you know, slow combat. Um, I guess you don't, it's kind of a little more roguelike. I don't think you die and leave your souls. I think you just die and then like start over like in Hades or whatever, but the whole movement system is very interesting you're on like a waterway and you have different platforms that you move with the right thumbstick and then you move your character with the left thumbstick. So you're sliding these like Tetris shapes or like whatever shape platforms around to move and you engage with and disengage with other platforms to fight enemies. So you can kind of like sit on the edge of a platform, charge up, slide the platform over to the platform the enemy's on and attack 
and then just back the whole platform you're standing on away or dodge roll to the side or just try to like walk around the enemy. So the movement system is, is really interesting. Um, I haven't played it too much. I did get into like the second level. I think there's like a mechanic where you lock onto a platform and then it locks you until you kill all the enemies on that platform. So I'm interested to see more about where that goes. Um, but then like two days later, Trek to Yomi came out and I've been waiting for Trek to Yomi for a while because I mean, everything that Devolver puts out is always pretty good. And I love the look of this with like that old film style. Uh, it just looks really amazing. Um, I, I started playing it. I did listen to a review from Skill Up, and he was a little lukewarm on the combat. So when I started, I just went in an easy mode. I was like, this is a short game. If I run through an easy mode, I'll be able to, you know, just trash all the enemies, get through the story and probably have a good quick time. But it was just too mindless to do that. So I eventually kicked it up to medium. And now I'm really engaging with the combat. Like maybe I'm going to hit a wall or something where I lose interest or or maybe it just wasn't the game for him. And, and it's more in my style, but I, I'm having a lot of fun with it, despite it being more of like a basic kind of like side scrolling beat em up esque kind of game. Um, but I highly recommend that one, especially if you have game pass, uh, it's, it's really pretty to look at. And um, you got one more on here, right? With what you're currently playing. Oh yeah. And then I've been playing advance wars on the game boy. I I've got the flash cart. So I've been kicking it old school with my game boy micro every chance I get playing that I got through all of the tutorials, which was a lot of tutorials. And I'm finally starting the campaign and I, I like a good strategy RPG um, and some base building mechanics for like, you know, turn-based strategy. Those are, those are fun concepts. I hear that it gets pretty puzzly and challenging later on. So, um, you know, we'll see if I, if I wind up going all the way through this one, I was really excited for the remake to come out, but you know, obviously that hasn't happened. So I figured I'd check it out anyways. Good stuff, man. Well, uh, with that being what we've currently picked up and currently played, uh, Barry, you want to dive into a little bit of premium edition series four release information? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so for those of you that haven't seen, we on Monday, the 2nd of May, we launched our series four direct. And we touched on a, a number of different things. First, we touched on our Series 4 releases. And all of our Series 4 releases will be available at premiumeditiongames.com starting on May 10th all the way to June 10th. That's, uh, that's going to be the pre-order window. And the two titles we have are Wonderling DX, which is a 2D retro-style puzzle platformer where you play the role of the equivalent of a Goomba. And you got to stop the equivalent of Mario, and you can only walk back and forth. But then you get the ability to jump, and you get all these other power-ups, and you get boosts, and uh, you know the ability to fly, and you get all these kind of cool ideas to pretty much go through every stage, find hidden items. Uh, it's a blast, and because this is the DX version, 
there's added stages, added challenge, added collectibles. Uh, it's a blast to, to, to see how well you do. And then the other game is called Rain on Your Parade, which is pretty much in the vein of Katamari Damacy or Untitled Goose Game, where you are playing a cloud suspended by strings, and you are you know, causing havoc in each level, uh, trying to do a checklist of different things to do. You have different environmental like uh, powers. Uh, besides raining, you can do like lightning or tornadoes and stuff like that. Different objectives. Uh, it's a ton of levels. There's uh, there's levels that are paying homage to like Metal Gear Solid, Legend of Zelda, uh, just a, a lot of fun things. And then our version also includes the DLC, which adds even more levels and more challenges and more fun. So uh, we're really proud of these. We're going to have our standard premiums, uh, which uh, are going to be $50. And then for 70 we have our retros, uh, which come in the retro box with a bunch of goodies. Uh, we also announced our premium edition classic series volume one and uh, what that is and that's coming summer 2022 that is a bunch of nes aftermarket homebrew titles uh, that different very talented developers have made for the original nintendo meaning these games work on original hardware it's not like shovel knight or, or Cathedral, where they look NES-inspired, but the NES could never run them. These games are NES titles, and we've taken them and we've compiled them into one program for the Switch, and this way you can play these games officially released on a Nintendo platform. And the games in that are Orbody Binder's Tale, Nessie the Robot, Space Raft, Ninja 1 and 2, Kubo 3, Assimilate, Jester, Era the Crow Maiden, Doodle World, and Yaya BBs 2. So it's 10 games, and there's some bonus stuff that's exclusive to the cart. Uh, so we're really excited about this because this gives all these talented developers a chance to get officially released on a Nintendo platform. And uh, we've just seen a lot of love from the community with this. A lot of people are excited about it. We also did an update for Sunshine Anthology, which is still in the process of being ported. Uh, which is Camp Sunshine and Sunshine Manor. So we'll have more soon, as soon as uh, it's finished porting. And we teased Series 5. Uh, and Series 5 we teased with a game called Raji, an ancient epic, the enhanced edition, which is a beautiful isometric God of War uh, style game set with Indian mythology and Indian culture. Uh, it is gorgeous to look at, beautiful music, controls really well. And this is the enhanced edition, so it's got all the new improvements that they're working on. And that's not even released yet. Uh, so that's the version we are going to um, be putting out there is on the card. It's going to be the enhanced edition. Nice. Yeah, premium edition classic. That uh, was right up my alley. I was excited to see that for sure. So I'll be picking that up. Uh, Rain on Your Parade was definitely one of interest for me as well. And dude, I was pumped for Raji when I saw that. Like, oh, I just I watched that video. And it looks so good. So I can't wait for Series 5. You guys did a great job on the direct too. Yeah, oh, it was a lot you. of fun. Yeah, it uh, was amazing. Ah, yes, amazing. That <laughs> yeah. that's a funny story behind that. So when we when when we do the directs, uh, for for the second, third, and the fourth direct, I wrote the initial script, the initial draft, and what I do is is I'll write my lines, but I'll also write lines for like Jeff uh, of where I want the conversation to go, and then you know Jeff will look at it. 
and he'll say, well, I'm going to edit my lines to be more of what I would say, but keeping the conversation going in the direction that I originally wrote. And sometimes he changed my lines too to go to respond to whatever he does. So then, you know, I have to re reread it and it goes back and forth a little bit. So we figure it out. And then we get to the recording process, which is always a blast. We're there with, with uh, our buddy Dan, who does our editing and uh, from Console Wars. If you've ever seen that show, Dan's a wonderful guy. Check his show out. And uh, we uh, we do the recording, <coughs> you know, reading the script. And despite me reading Jeff's lines and being like, okay, these are cool. During the first take of our read, we realized that Jeff wrote amazing a lot. Um, because I, I've always tried to differentiate using different words in the original script. And because I don't like to over repeat it. And he just didn't realize it when he did it himself and just wrote amazing. And when I reread it, I only reread like his lines. What did he change? And I, since I read them I isolated, I didn't realize there was that connection. And uh, as we were reading it, we started laughing. We just started horse laughing. It's like, oh my God, another amazing. And like, oh, we got to make this into a drinking game, you know, like oh, every time we do it. So when we did the second read, Jeff's like, let's double down on it. Let's like, let's just double down on it. Let's, let's go ham. And I was the polar opposite in my reading. And if you, if you listen to the dialogue, you could hear like, I'm purposely changing amazings on the fly uh, in the thing to other words so that there wouldn't be as much. Meanwhile, Jeff is doubling down and adding in amazings into the script that weren't there originally. So it, it really came into this crazy uh, thing. And I think I say amazing once uh, in, in the whole thing, but it, it's, it is funny. And, you know, some people loved it. Some people said, oh, the joke got old. Uh, you know what? We're just having a good time. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if you like it, great. And if you find it cringe, that's okay too. Uh, it was just memorable for fun. sure though. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. We, we just, we, the way we look at it is, you know, just as collectors as, as people who look at the industry as people who love directs nintendo directs and state of plays and stuff we've seen so many presentations at like e3 where it's just like here's some games and it's trailer trailer trailer, trailer. just like you go to the movies and you're seeing the previews you don't have time to digest what you just saw because you're instantly shown something else. And then after the end, you say, what did you think of it? So it was good. I like this game or maybe this game. You can't remember the names. You have to go back and watch it. And you probably forgot another thing. So we try and space the trailers out a bit with some commentary and, you know, talk about the different editions and let you digest what you just saw. So it is a little bit more memorable and it's a little more respectful to the developers of these games because these developers that we're working with are, are absolutely fantastic and it's an honor to work with them. And that's why we also included a voice from them. We asked them, please record something for the direct. We want you to get your voice out there too. Uh, so we're thankful they allowed, you know, they did that and we were able to include that. Yeah, it's good stuff, man. I actually, uh, while listening in and the first few amazings, I'm like, is this an Easter egg for season five or series five? Like, what is this? So then you just kept going of them like, okay, yeah, they're doing this shit on purpose. Yeah. Well, <laughs> especially with the grad, which was Jeff's idea to put like the amazing lure yeah, yeah. appeared. Like Jeff's like, oh, we got to do it. Like we're doubling down and tripling down on this. And I'm just like, okay. But if you read the original script, like the undoctored script, that's not the case at all. Well, cause, cause like series three, you had that Easter egg at the end. And yes. so I'm, I'm like listening in and trying to figure, is there an Easter egg in, in this? And every time the amazing came up, I'm like, okay, this is Easter egg. This has to be it. Like <laughs> when I'm talking to Barry, he's going to tell me, yeah, you found it out. It's like, no, yeah. no, <laughs> no. The, the truth is, is the amazing was just a weird coincidence that, that Jeff likes to use that word when he writes things. 
and uh, decided to double down on it and just have fun. And and he, you know, he nicknamed it the Amazing Direct, of course. Nice. But uh, yeah, no, that there was there was no hidden agenda with the amazing although i do think that series five is is amazing yeah i do think series four is amazing i do think you know all of our series are amazing in their own way and, i'm excited about these games they're fantastic and and one of the things is because we go slowly each of these games are games we all play we all have mm-hmm. to love say all right we're gonna put our, our weight behind it and you know what some people might say oh well wonderling doesn't look as good as cathedral well they're two different types of games and you know what if you say oh, i'm not interested in ran in your parade that's fine everyone has different tastes but i can tell you that these games are um, we almost used the word uh, are fantastic <laughs> see i'm changing it on the fly are fantastic and definitely worth your attention uh, i do know wonderling has a demo on the eShop, so it's one of those things where if you saw that and you say well that looks kind of cool i wonder if i would like it the demo's there for a reason. Try the demo. I don't know if Rain on Your Parade has one, but uh, these are definitely games worthy of any attention if you like this style. And if you say, I don't like puzzle platformers, I never really cared for crazy games like Katamari, and you know what? That's fine too. We'll see you in Series 5. Uh, we just want to put out amazing games. See, I did it there on purpose. Uh-huh. I did it there on purpose. Uh, that we feel strongly behind and we love... Uh, the developers that we work with and we you know, get to talk to and and they feel very passionate because you have to remember every game coming out whether you like it or not it's a, a, someone's passion project it's someone's that they put their heart and soul into this game and uh you know we feel that and we we feel it resonates well with every one of our releases and we want to convey that in the packaging which is why everything in the retro editions the developers signed off on they said oh yeah we want that that sounds good let's do that um and we want that with all of our editions. The the developer has say over what goes in. We want to make sure that each of those are from the developer themselves. Just like the challenge, that comes from the developer. Um, so what you're getting when you're getting a premium edition game, not only are you getting it complete on cart, but you're getting what the developer themselves as a collective whole will you know really wants. And then you guys recently uh, upgraded some of the materials in your... Yeah, new additions, right? Yes. So one of the things, you know, people people harped on, and they they did catch is that the our price did go up. Uh, you know, we we had to raise the price ten dollars uh, for each edition. It's a static, and one of the reasons we had to do that is because the nature of the world. Uh, we've gotten so many emails from suppliers. Plastic has gone up. Plastic is going up. Plastic is going up. That means the plastic switch cases are going up. That means the shrink wrap is going up. Um, our gas is going up, transportation is going up because it's not all done in one facility. We have them done and they're all shipped and then they're assembled. Um, you know, so, so transportation and shipping is going up and all these extra fees. And, you know, we're a small company and we look at it and we go, oh, my God, this is crazy uh, that that all this stuff is happening. I mean, we opened a, we started a company in 2020. I mean, <laughs> the world <laughs> the world in 2022 is very different than it was in 2019. Uh, you know, the, and the shipping delays, of course, with the canal issue and all that with freight shipping, it's, it's been something that we're not happy having to do, but we also looked at it and said, if we're going to do it for, first off, the developer does make more money this way too. So it's not like, oh, we're getting more profit. Like, no, the developer's making more money too, which is always a bonus, but we look at how we can raise the bar. You know, people loved series one. They love series two. They said, these are great additions. These are these are like mini collector's editions. We hear that all the time. Well, we wanted to make it that way. So what we did 
is we looked into upgrading our manuals and we looked into upgrading our slip covers and we were able to up it at an extra cost, but we said so we got to do it. We got to stand behind premium. So the, like if you take a series one or two slip cover and you compare it to series three or series four, cause we said so we got to do it for series three. Like let's eat it on series three. Let's do it so people can see how much better these new ones are. The thickness, it's like three times thicker, um, the cardboard. It's matted, it's got foil, it's hard, it's just amazing. And I'm using it again on purpose. The manuals are matted, they're foil, they're thicker. Like, it's done so well that people who have seen it, who have felt it, have commented like, oh my God, like this doesn't feel like the same release. And they've been asking us to redo the slip covers for our first four releases to match them. Uh, and one of the things we, we announced, uh, we did it originally, we announced it on Twitch, but we touched on it in the direct, is our partnership with Gamers for Gamers because we have uh, the, the people who are behind Gamers for Gamers, Josh and Sheena are part of our team, uh, wonderful, wonderful people. And in addition to doing Gamers for Gamers, they do a charity called Gamers for Kids. And what that charity does is it provides TVs, systems, games for, you know, group homes and orphanages and, you know, children that are already in a crappy situation. And this way they're getting the joy of video games to at least attempt to make their life a little better and have some fun. And uh, they get everything supplied and taken care of and hooked up and you know, making the next generation of gamers fall in love with games, which is a wonderful charity. Uh, so we are doing different variants for Gamers for Gamers. Uh, those ones will be 20% more, but they 20% goes right to the charity. So you're buying a great game, you're, you're helping a cause. And we debuted the uh, newer quality slipcovers with Demon's Tier Plus. Uh, they did a variant for that, um, and it just came out stupendous. Uh, so if they're doing variants for series three as well, which we showed off the cover arts for those. Uh, so those will have a different, different cover and, uh, you know, for variant hunters, it's great. And if you miss series three and you want the variant covers, you can do that. And those are limited on the webpage. And then the rest are available only if you see them at conventions. So we're always going crazy. And one of the things we also added, which is a pre-order bonus, uh, on our webpage, premiumeditiongames.com is a dog tag. Each game gets its own respective dog tag as a free pre-order bonus for, for supporting us. So we did this with the Gamers for Gamers Demons tier. We did this as a pre-order bonus for Series 3, and we're doing this again for a pre-order bonus for Series 4. And we're also going to be releasing a dog tag set for our first few games on the webpage on May 10th with a chain. Uh, I believe it's $10, and this way you can wear a dog tag collection of all the premium games and you can you could uh, collect that as well just as a as a bonus it's our way of saying thank you for supporting us awesome you mean amazing <laughs> amazing <laughs> <laughs> well it's uh, good stuff that you guys are doing and uh, always excited to see you know kind of what's down the pipe excited for series 4 excited for series 5 and uh, you know excited to see what else you guys put out in the future I did have a, a quick question for you though, Barry, and this might've been covered in a video and I might've missed it, but so you guys have two games coming out this, this go around. Um, are there any plans in series five? Like, are you going to have potentially two games or are you looking at like maybe three or four, like what type of, 
outlook do you have for like future series and like how many games are going to be, you know, distributed or, you know, released? So we thought about that. We don't want to overflow people. We don't want like too many. Uh, so two is the, the magic number that we're going for. Um, we're shooting for two. I mean, we did three with uh, Series 3, and that was because Mighty Fight Federation fell into our laps and it was ready. We expected, like, oh, there's probably going to be future DLC. Like, no, it's done. So we said, let's just go for it. Um, so two is where we're, we're positioning ourselves. However, and there's a big however, if, you know, some game comes out and says, hey, we want to do it and we want to be part of the next series. And it, this is like we would be stupid to pass this game up. Um, we will do a third. So that's why we're kind of like leaving that spot as a, this fell into our lap. We have to take advantage of it. We have to make sure that we get this game out there because this is just a title. We would be silly not getting the premium treatment because we, we love it. Uh, so then we would do a three, um, you know, and that's how we're positioning ourselves right now. As things go on, uh, we'll see. I mean, if, if there's enough demand and people say, oh, we want, you know, more in this because because we have so few, we have to be selective so that, you know, developers will reach out and it's like, well, how can we put you and we can maybe sign you, but we can't do you until next year. You know, we, we can't release your game until next year because and some developers are cool with that. Some, you know, maybe they might want it more recently uh, or more quickly. We just want to do cool things. So, you know, two is a safe bet. And if three happens, uh you know, it's it's going to be something special. I mean, especially with doing other things now, like that that retro release with all the mm-hmm. the different games on it, and doing the re-releases for the charity and stuff. You know, you guys are getting into doing more than just those series mm-hmm. too. Yeah, the classic series isn't a part. Of, it's its own thing. It's its own separate series. So it is coming out before between four and five, but it is not series five. It is not part of series four. It is the classic series. So the uh you know and, and it's called volume one because we're fully intending to to continue this series and do it we don't know how often it's going to come out but we're we're definitely in talks to continue doing it now would you it's probably a pretty straightforward answer that i could probably have answered myself but would you be planning on going beyond nes for those ah. types of classic series i mean would you be looking at snes like anything that was we started with, or... we started with nes um and we were able to make it happen. And we're absolutely open into other systems as long as we can do it. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're trying not to run immediately. We want to crawl first and we want to see how it works. And who knows, maybe we could have multiple classic series volumes for different systems or however it works. We, we're, we haven't truly discussed it. Fun now things we, on the horizon. Now, when we say different systems, though, and you don't have to answer it, but, you know, obviously SNES is a possibility. Are you looking at outside of Nintendo as well for a classic series of Sega? And... Yeah. I mean, nice. if, if we can do it and we can make it happen, absolutely. There's, I mean, you have to remember Jeff wrote multiple books on different homebrews for Sega, you know, Super mm-hmm. Nintendo, NES, like stuff like that. He's very big into the homebrew scene and the aftermarket scene. He knows a lot of the developers and friends with them. So if we can make their dreams come true, we're going to do our best to do so. Oh, awesome stuff yeah well, we'll we'll let you on to tell everybody about it once it comes yeah absolutely <laughs> all right well let's drive into our uh our topics here uh the first one being uh reggie former uh 
head of Nintendo of America. He is weighing in on Nintendo's worker exploitation. Ryan, you and I discussed this a while back. Uh, he's essentially saying this is not the Nintendo I left. Uh, this is through Kotaku, and it is Ethan Gack uh, that wrote this one up. Uh, Ryan, if you want to kick us off here. So in light of the recent few things that have been coming out in the news, you know, uh, family friendly Nintendo's got a little egg on its face, not treating the temp workers as equals to their full time employees. Reggie says this is not the company I left behind. I mean, Reggie's a face guy. You know, he's probably one of the best we could have gotten for Nintendo. Like he really revitalized, you know, their brand image here. And, you know, we've got another article after this talking about some other things, you know, that he pushed in the company. Like, he was definitely there to be a Nintendo man, though, you know, for the company. And, you know, he's going to be saving face saying this is not the way that I left Nintendo. But this isn't something that just started up. It's not like the temps were on a gravy train until 2019. And then all of a sudden Reggie left because he was this pillar for the people. So... You know, I think that uh, if if the work culture has changed since Reggie left, I, I mean, that would be really disappointing. But I don't think these kind of problems pop up overnight. And well, Reggie's plugging a book right now, so he's got he something to say for sure. Well, and he left just before the whole pandemic, right? So the whole work from home situation kicked off then. You know, I just I don't like like you said, I don't see this being something like just started. Happening. I guess I didn't think about that. Like, I guess there has been a giant shift in work culture since 2019 with the pandemic and stuff. To an extent, though, I mean, the return to work. I mean, you would figure that a lot of these things are going to kind of be business as usual. And in fact, people should honestly be closer uh, in this regard uh, based on the whole virtual experience. Like. Now, when I see a coworker in person, it's a totally different experience than when I was seeing them on a day-to-day basis. So there's a lot more excitement when you see people in person. So this whole idea of, you know, temps are not allowed in certain parts of the office or like they don't have key cards again, like that type of stuff can be standard to an extent. Um, but things like using the on-site gym or using like a cafeteria or something that's, you know, temps are not allowed in that type of stuff's a little off-putting. But the one thing I did catch in this article uh, from Reggie is that he used to do like lunches and temps were invited. But then somebody called out that temps actually didn't have a key card to get into the building in which those lunches were housed. Yeah. So, you know, that in itself is a little ridiculous. And then to say, this is not the Nintendo, uh, or this is not Nintendo the way I left it, is essentially saying, admitting in a sense that yes, this is occurring. You know, it wasn't like that when I was there. So, but it is now. That's kind of how I got that. Barry, you have any any thoughts on that? I think he's trying to save face um, because, first off, uh, the contract work thing—that's not a Nintendo thing. That's like a, just a culture thing. Like, there's a lot of Silicon Valley that does that. There's a lot of companies out there that that absolutely do that with contractors. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's it's not just specifically a Nintendo thing. You know, and he says this isn't the Nintendo I left, but there's accounts that people have, you know, come forward and said, like, you know, back in 2012, 2013, 2014, which was Reggie's Nintendo. So absolutely, it was a part of that culture when he was there. He just may may have chose to ignore it. Maybe he was too busy and it, it happening underneath him, but it was there. Uh, do I think it was? it's right? Absolutely not. I think that I'm not saying they should 
have free reign, but I think telling contractors that they could be promoted to full time and then never doing it, never letting them is just literally a, a carrot on a string. And that yeah. is that should be illegal. If you say it, that means it's a verbal contract and it has to be a possibility. It's not a, oh, I'll bet they'll work extra hard if I do this and then never do it. Um, not letting them go to the bathroom is inhumane. Making it so that if they can't come to work because they're sick, they get fired. Uh, one one of the you know people accounted like someone came in even though they were sick uh, because they couldn't get fired, and then they gave everybody in the center the disease. It was a viral thing, and like that's counterproductive. You don't want your entire workforce to get sick. Like that's you're not going to do yourself any favors. So I don't think things like that should be legal. I think there has to be some leeway. Uh, one person uh, in the article, at least the one on IGN, they they were interviewing somebody for. Uh, for being promoted into full time and they got the call in the middle of that interview that their sister died and they had to go immediately and they didn't get the job because of that. And it's oh like, really God. like you're going to hold them to that. Like they, what? Like that's not even heart. human. No, it's like, you know what? We'll reschedule this interview. We'll do it after you take your time. Nope. Nope. Sorry. You leave. You're gone. Mario um, waits for no one. <laughs> You know, Ryan and I talked about it, uh, I guess it was an episode or two ago. And and one of the other things that was uh, brought up was, you know, somebody needed to go to the hospital or the clinic and they wouldn't let them use the on-site clinic. And they said, okay, well, we need to go to a doctor. And then a full-time employee said, hey, I'll take you to a the doctor. They refused to let that full-time employee take a temp employee to the doctor's office. And they called an Uber for that person to take him to the doctor instead. Just like, what kind of separation in the workplace is that? You know, it's not like it's a one-off type of situation. You're talking about multiple accounts of people coming forward for this type of, uh, you know, work environment. And, you know, I agree. It's not just Nintendo. Like, it, I'm sure Sony's going to have something come out and all these other companies we already saw with, um, uh, who is it? God, I'm spacing off the top of my head. The recent acquisition of Microsoft. Oh, Activision Blizzard? Activision Blizzard. Yeah, all the bullshit that was going on with them for a number of years. I mean, this is not, this is commonplace, it seems, within the video game industry. And it really is a shame for the most part. It's oh, so weird. much harder to treat people worse and differently than to just treat everybody the same, too. Like, it, the mentality of it is is just baffling. I'm fairly new to like corporate work culture. So look, I've always been like the outsider looking in and like, even at my job now, I'm like, wow, you know, I guess, I guess sometimes you just come into work and 50 people get laid off. Yeah, it's, you know, just looking at the whole thing, it, it feels like they're, at least with Nintendo, they're kind of like, they're in a separate building, they're, they're on their own. And there was a thing about the the mobile division. Apparently the Nintendo Mobile is contract work. It's in there. It's like a, a bastard child. And and granted, Nintendo Mobile hasn't done the best, um, you know, there but to find out like the most successful game they've had is Fire Emblem Heroes, and the people working on that game are in that building and they are not allowed the official Fire Emblem documents about the different characters and the, the lore and the story for fear of Nintendo being private. They have to use fan-made wikis online to try and get the gist of the characters. And it's like, if you are a contract worker, you put an NDA in that contract. If they leak that, you take them to court. So they're not going to do it. They're working for you. They're, that's only going to help your game get better. 
What are they going to do? Oh, my God. Did you know Lynn does this? No, it, a fan knows this already because it's in, in one of the games already. Like, who cares? You know? Uh, That's, just, like, one of their best so games, too. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's the best I, I haven't game. played a, a mobile game, like, really hard for a long time and that's the last one that i was playing that much yeah. i thought it was tremendous they definitely should have given them the resources especially with how much money they were making them yeah it's so so silly and nintendo's always been a private company they've yeah. always been hard ass and secrets are no 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 hush but when they're already working on your title for you to make you money just let them have it. It's only going to benefit the game, which only makes you guys look better. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, somebody Nintendo. who uh, put a lot of work into trying to make Nintendo look better and uh, has some regrets about their time there is also Reggie in the next article. Yes, yeah, so this one is through uh, Jason Schreier and Bloomberg. And so really, it just kind of dives in. I mean, this is really just a Reggie plug in his book situation. Um, but he kind of has a few regrets, one of which is uh, he mentions... Um, Mother 3 and the reason why it wasn't released out in the US and kind of dives into the whole thing of just Nintendo was looking at it from an aspect of numbers and what made sense, right? Well, we don't want to put, you know, resources towards developing a game for a console that's going to be, you know, departing at some point. Uh, you know, we don't want to go ahead and, and put it towards this because we're moving into this direction for another type of game console. And so he talks about his regrets on that. And he also dives into uh, the release of the, I think it was the 3DS. And mm -hmm. how he initially told them, hey, let's get this thing launched at 200 bucks, uh, put it into market. And they decided we're going to release it at 250 only to have egg on their face and release it uh, for 200 six months later uh, after it had already been uh, I market. think 170. They lowered it even farther. Oh, yeah, was so it down to 170? Yeah, I think well, so. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't dive into that deep as far as the, uh, the sales history on it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of goes into play where to what you were saying, Barry, if Nintendo kind of being this private company, everything kind of tight to the chest, they don't really listen to a lot of outside noise or suggestion. You got, you know, one of their heads kind of saying, Hey, we need to put this at a cheaper price point. It's going to make sense for the company. It's going to be for the best of the organization. They're like, Nope, we're just not going to listen to you. We're going to put this thing out into market as is and an egg on their face. And it kind of makes you wonder if the, the culture aspect too, diving back into that, you know, how many people are maybe afraid to kind of reach out to their Japanese bosses and just bosses in those corporate offices within North America to say, you know, Hey, this is wrong. This is how we need to treat these employees out of fear that something's going to happen to them uh, in return. You know, I, I it's kind of coming full circle right now. You know, that's, that's unfortunate truth is that people fear for their jobs uh, and they don't speak up and they don't, don't and so a lot of times they have great ideas or you know a lot of people don't like criticism they don't want to hear criticism um you know a lot of people don't like to hear criticism but sometimes you learn from that not all criticism is is warranted and not all criticism um you know is something you should change but you should look take a good hard look and learn from your mistakes and maybe oh i didn't listen maybe i should listen like there was the whole thing that reggie talked about with wii sports how mm -hmm. my mother didn't want to give away a game for free and he's like well we should pack it in and look what happened and you can see they followed that again with the wii u like we're going to do nintendo land and the wii u bombed so they decided not to do it again with the switch i guess because it bombed with the wii u and that's why one two switch 
was a standalone and everyone's like one two switch should have been a pack-in yeah uh, you know like that was your pack-in game but no you put it as a standalone and the switch of course is a huge success it didn't need a pack-in but it wouldn't have hurt <laughs> no, and i think yeah. like a lot of people would have played one two, a lot of more people would have played one two switch than they did you know when you bring that up like did you get the recent the switch sports that just yeah. came out like i can't believe it took them this long to make that like it's not like it was competing against like a prior pack and like they came out with the Wii Resort like two or three years after. Well, I think they might have been toying around with it. I mean, the the Wii Sports Club, they like was, you know, on the Wii U, they were working on it. But I think they were banking on one two switch being the new thing. And that didn't do well. And it was a great tech demo. I had, I had a lot of fun with one two switch. And I think one two switch would have, and still is never a pack. And they keep throwing Mario Kart, throw Mario Kart and one two switch on there. Like, what are you doing? Like, to get that thing in there. Like, it's perfect. You're not selling copies of it anymore. Yeah. Just throw it in there, you know? Uh, it, you know, the Nintendo does things to their own drum. They beat, you know, and what seems obvious and what everyone else is asking Operation Rainfall, you're asking for those games. It took forever, and they finally did. They don't listen. People are like, we want a new F-Zero, even if you don't have any new gimmicks. Just give us F-Zero with new levels, same gameplay, we're happy with it. And then, no, 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 no. And they bank, they they have to bank on these gimmicks. They have to bank on these. And sometimes those work beautifully, but they don't like to go back on those. And I almost feel like the leg strap was an excuse to get Nintendo Switch Sports. Like, oh, look, we could use the leg straps with soccer. Oh, we could put it around and and do a new sports game. And they're like, all right, yeah, that's something new. We could go ahead and do it, which is why the leg straps in one game and that's it. You know, it's like, oh, it was just an excuse. It's kind of like, you know, people harp on Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival. They harp on that game so bad. That game only exists because the team... The Animal Crossing team wanted Animal Crossing Amiibo because like, oh, it would be perfect. And Nintendo said, we don't have a game to put it for, so you're not getting it. So they made that game simply so they can sell Amiibo. Like th yeah. that's all the team wanted. That's why the game is trash because they they made it just as here's an excuse so we can make Animal Crossing Amiibo because that's really what we want. <laughs> it's so funny. That's what Nintendo sometimes needs to get the ball rolling. Yeah, some kind of plastic peripheral. <laughs> to move games with well they, i mean they, the amiibo would have been great the nintendo's like you need a game so it's the opposite there it's some kind of crappy game to move plastic peripherals yeah yeah i mean even like Link's crossbow training was done for the zapper like they've always done things like that where you know the, the wheel mario kart Wii had to have the wheel you know they've mm -hmm. always moved stuff like that but it, it's it's kind of weird when fans just want more of the same like give us give us a sequel that just like a, pretty much a DLC pack and we're fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll be Nintendo future DLC packs. No, yeah. no more full games, just DLC packs. You know what? They, that's all they need. Let's be honest. If Mario Kart nine came out and said, it's, you know, 16 new courses with all of Mario Kart Deluxe's courses and all the booster pass courses all together, no new gimmick. People would go crazy. If Smash Brothers came out, here's our next Smash Brothers. We're, we're adding 15 or 16 new characters with new stages, some old returning stages that never came out. Oh, and all the content from Smash Ultimate, all the fighters, all the stages, people would be fine. It would be amazing for them to just keep adding that on. 
I mean, on not, some level, you, know? you run into like the Pokemon problem where it just gets to be too much. Well, not if you constantly building on it. See, Pokemon keeps reinventing their new new graphics, new mechanics, new things. Smash Brothers doesn't need it. The mechanics are solid. The graphics are fine. The 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 balancing is there. All they have to do is add new characters and just treat them as new characters. The stage, the new stages would have to be, you know, shoot, you know, refined. But they would have to do that regardless. So yeah, I guess you just have there. to go back and edit Kirby every now and then. Yeah, new 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 hat for Kirby. You you have Mario. You don't need to rebalance Mario. You don't have to change him up. If Mario stayed the same throughout, the, people would be fine. People who play Mario like. In fact, a lot of people don't like when characters are changed up. They I miss wanna, old Mario. I miss old Kirby. Kirby in, in, in 64 was very different than Kirby now. And it's like, just leave things status quo. So, yeah, I do think Nintendo should, with certain tentpole games, do that. Because if they say, here's Mario Kart 9, like in, in which one was the first one to do the retro? I think DS was the first one that did the retro courses, uh, where it was like, here's 16 courses, which we've always done with Mario Kart, and then here's 16 older courses. And then that became the norm. So if they say, here's Mario Kart 9 with 16 new courses and 16 older courses, people would be like, well, this is so much less than what Mario Kart 8 has with the booster pass. So you already have that. You already, Cody, you don't need to do anything but take the game and go boom the courses and put them there you're mm-hmm. you're done the coding's done all you have to do is make mario kart 9 as dlc and just release it as a full game with those 16 courses or whatever highlighted as the brand new stuff add an eraser or two or five or whatever new carts and you got yourself an instant game yeah. <laughs> people would buy it well uh let's go ahead and jump into the next topic of nintendo of course is the header uh arc of time is headlining the video game hall of fame class of 2022 this is through polygon and it's ryan gilliam uh, that wrote this one up so i'm just gonna really quick because i mean we've covered the the hall of fame every year actually now that i think about it um that we've been doing this podcast and so uh the games that they have right now it's headlined by zelda Ocarina of time and then you've got Miss Pac-Man, which didn't they do Pac-Man a couple of years ago? I'll have to look at the full list. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, why not just do Mr. and Mrs. Pac-Man? But uh, I digress. And then they've also got Sid Meier Civilization and Dance Dance Revolution uh, for the Hall of Fame class. Do you guys think that any of those do not deserve a place in the Hall of Fame? And if so, why? I've actually played all of these, and I think that they're all awesome. I remember playing civilization on the playstation and having a great time it was like the first game i ever played like that ddr is a classic i I don't really have a lot of love for for pac-man but you know give it up for the miss uh and ocarina i mean we already talked about that earlier like i don't think anybody questions that it belongs there whether it's the best zelda you could definitely argue but i mean give it the hall of fame I think what they're looking at here is the revolutionary aspect of it, except Pac- Miss Pac-Man kind of falls out on that one. Like I could see DDR kind of setting that like tone for the music genre. I think it was cultural. It, Miss Pac-Man brought more women into gaming because they put a bow on it. It's true. I, I guess I could see that. That's not necessarily true. Yeah. So Miss Pac-Man is an interesting story. Miss Pac-Man was, I don't know if you know how Miss Pac-Man started, Miss Pac-Man was not a Namco release. Miss, what, what it was is back in the day, arcade cabinets were expensive. 
and a bar usually got one, maybe two, and you would just change out the boards. Well, I forget who it was. It was a couple students said, you know, Pac-Man is good, but we can make it better. So they decided to make an upgrade conversion kit to Pac-Man and sell it to bars and say, you've had Pac-Man in here for a while. Would you like to buy our, our version of Pac-Man? It's an, it's an updated version. It's not an official release. And they would. And they put it in bars and people liked it a lot better. And yeah, Namco took notice. Once. And Namco wound up, you know, hiring the guys. And that, that turned into Miss Pac-Man. But for some reason, I don't know why, Namco actually never retained the rights to Miss Pac-Man. And they always licensed it from the guys. And currently, I believe, at Games owns the rights to Miss Pac-Man because they did a Miss Pac-Man uh, plug and play. And that's why if you look at, you know, all like the Pac-Man collections, you rarely see Miss Pac-Man. And on the new one coming out, Pac-Land, which does feature Pac, uh, Miss Pac-Man, it's changed to Pac-Man's mom now instead of Miss Pac-Man uh, because they don't have the rights to use her. Uh, so Miss Pac-Man is a uh, cultural in the sense of this was the first like real homebrew and 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 like rom hack if you will that made it that became an official release uh so so in that regards it is revolutionary and it is a very different game uh it's just a weird story behind the rights i didn't know the full-fledged story behind that but i do recall hearing some of that in the past it's good to have our gaming historian barry i was just thinking that i was like (laughs) barry's barry's library of historical facts paying off (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know all, all the details and I couldn't tell you the guy's names. And, and again, I don't know why the rights aren't Namco and, and what, what the brouhaha behind it and how at games wound up with it. All I know is it's very weird. And if you look at most recent Pac-Man collections, you will always see Miss Pac-Man missing. And it's like, why is Miss Pac-Man not included? And it's because they don't have the rights to do it. Well, and that, you know, that kind of dives back into the whole, like, why is it even on here type of thing? Right. Because yeah. You know, was it a cultural shift? Doesn't seem like it. I mean, you know, it just that's what seems they like... say in the in the article here. They said uh, for Miss Pac-Man, the museum called out its more sophisticated enemies and mazes in comparison to the original Pac-Man. More importantly, the museum's representative wrote Miss Pac-Man helped change the idea that video games were just for men. I mean, yeah, I can see that, you know, you know, maybe bringing more women to the arcades. But I don't think, I, I mean, well, that's I don't their that's explanation for why they're inducting it. And you know what? That makes sense. But I, I see it more as a ROM hack becoming mainstream and, and really gives it out to the community that can fix games. How many games come out and like, oh, you can't fix this. And within, you know, a day, you know, ROM hackers have yeah. fixed problems on major releases. Yeah. Well, uh, I think the DDR component makes sense. I mean, it brought in an entire new genre in a sense of of music based games. I mean, I know there's other stuff that came before that, but um, like uh, what's the one that's on PS1? It's uh, Bust a Groove. Like there's games like that, obviously, that were predecessors, I feel. Um, but as far as things like Guitar Hero and all that, I don't think any of that really happens without like the DDR movement. So I could see that yeah. being a big cultural shift. Uh, Zelda, we already kind of talked about the main reason there, right? It was one of the the better 3D games that came out during that genre or during that era and really kind of solidified that movement. And then uh, what was the other one that we had on there, Ryan? Um, let me look back at my list. Uh, Sid Meier's Civilization, that one was a little 
interesting. Um, I actually don't really have much experience of that one. Do either of you? Yeah. As far as like where that might fit in regard to like a revolutionary change in the gaming industry. So it was like a very early game. Like let's make a game that's like about building and creating and less so about like destruction and stuff. So it's like, it's not edutainment the way that like Oregon trail is, but it's like a, turn-based strategy you go through the ages you start off like at a tech tree and then work your way up to the modern era i guess i look at a game like age of empires and figure it's like that but less worry but i you know i'm timeline wise because i don't have release dates in front of me i mean was age of empires before the sid meyer games or was it after well i don't think they usually go in like a chronological order for that like they just kind of sure. put games up. I'm not year. sure. I guess the argument I'm making is like if Age of Empires came before Sid Meier's, like I would think that it deserves a spot above Sid Meier's. Well, it didn't do this. The I don't think it does the same kind of things. Like, do you like learn sailing and agriculture and mathematics and stuff? Or is that all just like you get spearmen, you get swordmen, you get. You know, one of them, I think, is more of like a strategy war game. And one of them is like going through the entirety of history and the building of modern technology on the principles of older technology through. Yeah, yeah, I guess I can see your argument on that. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Well, uh, let me look really quick at the full blown list. Uh, I can actually I'll rattle off what's already in the Hall of Fame. And if you guys have like one game in particular after I go through this that you feel should be on the list, feel free to shout it out. But uh, Tetris, Super Mario Bros., Pac-Man, World of Warcraft, Doom, Pong, GTA 3, Oregon Trail, uh, The Legend of Zelda, the original, The Sims, Sonic the Hedgehog, Space Invaders, Halo, Comet of Alt, Street Fighter 2, Donkey Kong, Pokemon, Red and Green, funny enough, is noted on here, uh, Tomb Raider, Space War, uh, John Madden Football, Final Fantasy 7, Super Mario Kart, Mortal Kombat, Microsoft Solitaire, Colossal Cave Adventure, Minecraft, King's Quest, Centipede, Bejeweled, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego, Starcraft, Microsoft Flight Simulator, Animal Crossing, Sid Meier's Civilization, Ms. Pac-Man, Zelda, and then, of course, Dance Dance Revolution. I know I've it was a quick rattling of space off. Space War. I had neither, actually. It's an old arcade. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's tons of games that deserve to be on there. Uh, Throw Minesweeper on there. It, I thought Minesweeper was listed. I'm pretty sure it was. I yeah, went I through it so fast. I don't even know if I went through it. Solitaire's on there. Yeah, Solitaire's on there. Yeah. I mean, Minesweeper, I could see. I mean, you you were you had a question about Pokemon Red and Green. Yeah, I mean, it said Red and Green. I figured yeah. it would be Red and Blue, but I'm pretty sure Green was like a, a revamp, right? I didn't. Green no, was the I original. Green is the original. Our Blue oh, original, is original. Green. Oh shit! You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. What uh, I always think Leaf Green for yeah, whatever reason. That's, like, why. that's a fir- Yeah, that's the first thing that ties in my that comes to my head. Yeah, it was Pokemon Red and Green. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe like. Virtua Fighter will wind up here on one day, probably. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, I like the Street Fighters on here. Obviously, you've got the Mario games are on here as well. So you got a lot of those iconic characters. Um, you know, I, I wonder when they'll start digging into more so, you know, games like Uncharted would be one that I, I would love to see on here down the road. Um, I mean, 
Uncharted like versus The Last of Us. I I imagine Last of Us will wind up on here first. You think so? I think so. I I just think that like especially cuz now they're talking about doing like another remake for PS5 or something and the HBO series is going to come out like I don't think that many people saw the Uncharted movie that <laughs> it's going to be breaking down the doors anytime soon. Yeah, I get that. That makes sense. All right. Well, uh if we don't have any more thoughts on that let's dive into a little bit of yoshi's crafted world so let me get the uh information on here i could go through okay yeah go ahead all right so yeah this week for the inflation deflation challenge we checked out yoshi's crafted world for the switch developer was good feel published by nintendo uh, director Masahiro Yamamoto, and this was released in March of 2019. It is a platform side-scroller reception, about an 8 out of 10. This was a fun one. This is in that vein of you know, Nintendo and craft stores getting together to mash up everything from your childhood. And I, I've always been there for it. I love you know everything from the crayon and pencil style looking Yoshi's Island, the uh, Kirby's epic yarn. I've always been a creative artistic person. So like these really speak to that inside of me. I want to get my hands on these games. Yeah, this game in particular, man, it definitely captured me right off the bat uh, compared to some of the other titles that I played there, specifically Yoshi. And, uh, you know, the whole crafted world experience, uh, the first thing I noticed was the coins, right? The coins look like little plastic coins. It doesn't come off as like, you know, metallic or anything like it's it's clearly a crafting store that we're playing in and the ability to interact with various aspects of a level so there could be things in the very background that allow you to get more coins as well and just that was one of the things that, that really stuck out to me was obviously a shininess um but just how well it was done man like it really did feel like you were in a kindergarten class mm-hmm. while you were playing this thing and you know the, the controls themselves I thought were great, dude. Like you and I played some two player for a bit and then we played one player to kind of get the feel for that. And, you know, I love the ability to interact with each other's Yoshis, be able to spit each other out, carry each other on our backs and then, you know, do certain like jumps uh, where you're jumping up then I can jump off and such. So I I thought mechanically it worked very well. And, you know, we didn't go too deep into it. We went through, I guess, the first technical world and the first boss and such and you know i had a good time with that alone and it's a game that i'll be picking up with my wife here pretty soon and and playing through barry any thoughts on that i mean how long has it been since you you laid your hands on this game uh i played it at launch i never beat it but i got about halfway through the game Uh, i thought it was great i thought it you said it controlled well i I really liked when you had to go back and find the, the Poochie Pups and how you got to see the world from the other side. And you saw it was all like cardboard cutouts. And it, it really made the, you know, it's very distinct feel to the game. And, you know, of course, you know, they did Woolly World prior to. And I like what they're doing with Yoshi, where they're, they're really making it feel like something unique, something new, something. You know, I don't know if they're going to continue with the crafting motif or if we're going to get paper mache or if we're going to get you know who knows clay claymation uh it's just you can see they it, it wasn't just here's an idea and and we're gonna you know do it a little bit and and call it that they went full in it's like when you go to disney world and you know you go to a ride and the, the garbage cans are themed on whatever the ride is like it's that full immersion 
they did such a good job with it. Uh, I, I liked it. I, you know, it's for me, I didn't get to finish it because I did eventually start getting like, all right, I've seen what this game has. I kind of want to move on. Like it's a, it's a decent sized game, but I know plenty of people who have hundred percented it and loved it the whole way. Yeah. I, nice. I love how the Yoshi series has kept that like Yoshi game feel while going through these changes and incorporating these different materials and things. And it's something that I always wish they'd been able to do better for like the paper Mario series where like they kind of took those like ideas and material ideas and brought them in more and altered the gameplay instead of keeping the gameplay the same and just introducing those as like new, you know, more artistic elements and i think that like they've really come to master it at this point like uh, all the paper like just looks like you could reach out and touch real paper and like you said like the coins like they're those perfect little plastic coins like i almost wanted to see like the little cut off nub you know at the end of them like they got cut out of like a, a mold or something yeah yeah, I, agree. yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Uh, so Ryan brass tax here, man, uh, we're looking at complete in box is 3441. It peaked at 4520 back in May of 2020, and it is currently trending down in price. In fact, I picked it up for about 35 or 40 bucks uh, new uh, the other day. And then uh, loose, you're looking at 3207 peaked at 4350 April of 2019. That is also trending down. So, you know, I look at a $35 price point on this game and i mean i think it's totally worth it dude like barry was saying it's a pretty extensive game it's a mario based game uh or not really mario based but you know nintendo first party title and uh, many of those games just don't go down in price so the fact that you can pick up a complete in box copy of this right now at 35 bucks i think that's gonna long term that's probably gonna end up being the price point for this title uh and it'll probably stay around that rate uh, for a number of years so i think it's worth picking up you know at, at 34 35 bucks right now 100 percent yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the more the more new titles are always like, eh, you know, could, could you sleep on this for like 10 years and save yourself like maybe five bucks or something? Probably. But I mean, this is a good fun time. Like, do you really want to sleep on it for that long? And, you know, given, like you said, a savings of what, five bucks, maybe even ten dollars, like just pick it up now. Yeah, definitely. You know, especially like, if you got especially kids you or somebody to you can play with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when I got time to play it, right? Um, all right, cool. So you're going to put just right for uh, the rating on that. Cool. All right. So next week, man, I'm not sure exactly what we're going to play. Maybe we can dive into that Vectrix multi-cart. That yeah. Might be some fun. Uh, we'll have to report back to Barry and, and how that is. Yeah, let me know some how it is. Titles. Yeah. Be good stuff. Uh, well, Barry, if you want to do, uh, another quick, uh, plug for, uh, yourself as well as premium edition games, then we'll, we'll dive into the end of the episode here. Sure. So again, on uh, May 10th till uh, June 10th at premiumeditiongames.com, Series 4 will be up for pre-order. That's Wonderling DX and Rain in Your Parade, both the standards, which are open pre-order, and the retro, which are limited to 500 on the webpage. So make sure to get those orders in. Uh, dog tags will also be available. Uh, you can, again, find out all the information, premiumeditiongames.com. You can go follow us on socials. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Premium Edition Games, Twitter at Premium Edition One, and uh, you know follow the Premium Playcast. You can hear that on all podcast uh, you know sessions as well as 
out in premium edition games.com and then nintendofuse.com and then you know youtube.com slash nintendofuse plus all podcast uh spots you can hear nintendofuse podcast as well Thank and for me uh at hawk Elfire on twitter if you ever want to just talk and chat and i'm always game Sounds good, man. And then, of course, you can find us on thegamedeflators.com, at GameDeflators on Twitter, at TheGameDeflators on Instagram and Facebook, and a podcast application you're listening to right now, as well as others. Uh, go ahead and leave us a review. And, of course, leave uh, the Nintendo Fuse podcast review as well and pick up those pre-orders uh, when they become available. Uh, this has been episode 182 of the GameDeflators podcast. We've been joined by Barry of Premium Edition Games. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks and for back. listening. And he's Barry. And I'm Barry. We, we, always, we always end with those. Uh, we we got to get like a standard practice. So I'm John. He's Ryan. He's Barry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening all. Bye.